welcome to Unstoppable Minds, a podcast out of the University of Florida, looking at the challenges and triumphs that come with a life in academia and research. I'm Dr. Kyla McMullen, an assistant professor of computer and information science and engineering at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I'm Dr. Jeremy Wesa, a postdoctoral associate also here in the Herbert Wertheim College of Engineering. We know quite well that science, research, learning, it's all about trial and error. So we're sitting down with some of our colleagues here at UF who've stared down some pretty big challenges in the quest for knowledge. So this coronavirus is really taxing our healthcare industry like nothing that's ever come before it. And I think it's something that we just were not prepared for as a country, as a world, honestly. And it makes me wonder what communities are most susceptible to the virus as a result of not really having access to the understanding of the impacts of what it can actually do. Like I've learned things about viruses that, you know, I didn't learn in high school or college. It's super important that we expose people to health literacy so that they can make informed decisions about their health care. Thank goodness we have a UF faculty member here who has dedicated her research to making sure that people are educated and they know what's going on in the healthcare industry and they're filling these gaps of understanding. My name is Dr. Laura Geyer and I'm a master lecturer in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences in the Center for Gender, Sexualities and Women's Studies Research. I'm also an adjunct associate professor in the College of Public Health and Health Professions. So Jeremy, Laura actually leads a minor in health disparities in society, and it's the only program in the nation for undergraduates to learn about health disparities, cultural competency, health literacy. The overall goal for the program is for students to think about and consider the lives of people in marginalized communities and figure out a way to just help them and meet them where they are, explaining things in a healthcare setting so that people aren't just relying on information that they get from uncredible sources. You know, they're able to actually have information in an accessible way. I think it's interesting that there aren't more programs like this available to students across the country because we know that there's marginalized communities all over the United States. And I would even think, too, that having this kind of minor, like, since we're the only ones on an undergrad level, it probably encourages people who are from underserved populations to want to pursue a healthcare background that probably didn't consider it before. Yeah, absolutely. So, Laura, who exactly are we talking about when we say marginalized communities? So we're talking about populations that we don't often think about when we're setting the table. Who are the people who are missing, perhaps people with disabilities, members of the LGBTQ community? We could think about those who practice minority religions. We can think about those from minority racial and ethnic communities. Also think about those from low socioeconomic backgrounds, disadvantaged communities. So what are the challenges that these groups face when it comes to healthcare? Part of the difficulty is that as marginalized people, they're on the outskirts of society. 
they don't often understand their health. They may not have a strong background in science. They may not have strong literacy skills. The other part of that is that we as health professionals aren't always trained to provide inclusive care. We don't learn how to provide health care for people with disabilities or members of the LGBTQ community. That's really interesting. I'm someone who's very educated. I have my PhD in engineering, but I'm a new mom. And as a Black woman, you're probably very aware of the health disparities that exist uh, with the Black maternal mortality rate. Absolutely. And I personally felt like I needed to advocate for myself because that disparity doesn't even have socioeconomic status or an education level related to it. It's just a racial bias that exists. I can't imagine not knowing how to advocate for myself, what language to use and all of those things. Well, and like you said, you're an educated person. The unfortunate reality is that we assume that educated people understand health. Mm. I can look at you. I can see you're an educated and intelligent person. You're nodding your head appropriately. I'm assuming that you're understanding The two questions that we ask that we should never ask, number one, do you understand what I'm saying or what I've told you? Because adults will nod and say yes, even if they don't understand. The other terrible question that we often ask is, do you have any questions? Mm -hmm. The reason that's a terrible question is because if you don't understand your health well enough, you can't formulate a question. And when I ask you if you have a question and you say no, My assumption is I've done a good job when, in fact, that's not at all the case. I'm the expert. I should be asking you the questions to verify that you understand. That's amazing. Yeah. Not something that I've ever thought about. Well, the other point that you brought up that was really excellent, you said you had to learn to be an advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. All of us need to be advocates for ourselves, even those of us like myself who's a health professional. I need to be an advocate when I visit my physician. Because my physician is my physician, the expert in medicine, but I'm the expert in my life. Right. And so I have information that if I don't know to advocate and share, my physician won't have time in the 15, 20 minutes dedicated to my appointment to think to ask me everything that's important. So for me to learn how to be an effective advocate, that's something that I try to talk to my students about. I teach through the lens of the patient's experience because in medical school, in dental school, pharmacy school, we will learn how to provide care for a variety of patients. It seems like part of the issue with patients' ability to advocate for themselves is whether or not they feel they can trust their doctors. There have been so many documented times in history where medicine has used black bodies, you know, for its own investment, like the Tuskegee experiment. Absolutely. I know personally, as a black woman, getting my parents and their brothers and sisters to go to the doctor can be so challenging. What are some ways where you think we can start to rebuild that trust between minority groups and their doctors? That is a terrific question. You know, we talk about implicit biases, those unconscious biases that all of us have. So health professionals have biases. Patients also have biases. I do an activity with my students in class where I show them a picture of 16 random people. And then I ask them to work in groups and tell me 
who do they think makes the highest income and who do they think lives in a rural community. And then when we finish the activity, finish talking about who we put where and finish laughing, I remind them that every patient they're going to see has had some kind of experience with health professionals. And it's good to ask, I think, if you want to build trust, tell me about the kinds of relationships you've had with your other physicians or other dentists. Right. That's so great. So it sounds like better communication between the patient and the doctor is the first step to rebuilding that trust, which makes so much sense. I can also imagine that language and language barriers are a huge issue there. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That is such an interesting and current problem in healthcare. If you accept federal dollars, i.e. Medicare, Medicaid for payment, you must provide access to healthcare in the first language of the patient. How do we do that? In this country, we speak more than 375 different languages besides English. (laughs) Wow. So what about like a percentage of the students who are enrolled who speak another language? Do you know what that is? I do. About 67% of the students speak a language other than English at home. Wow. We are 22% Black and African-American. We are about a third first-generation to college students. We are about a third immigrant, about a third first-generation Americans. The students who self-select for the minor in health disparities are a very different group from the traditional undergraduate student at UF. It sounds like it's hitting really close to home for those students. Very close to home. Yeah. So even if the students are speaking English or the patients are speaking English, medical instructions and health information aren't always written in the most accessible manner. So you have students who are enrolled in the minor and they're learning to write medical handouts. Is that right? Yes, we're learning how to simplify medical concepts. We don't in healthcare often think about literacy as being something we should be concerned about. Right. With regard to the handouts that you were talking about, most are written at maybe the 12th grade level. Well, people don't read at the same level of formal education. Mm. So if we have handouts that are written at the 12th grade level, that would require more than college education to read and understand. And again, remember, people don't understand their health. Right. So learning how to simplify handouts and take complex concepts and make them easy is really important. So your career has really been balanced between academia and the healthcare system. That brings a really interesting perspective to these like real world experiences that you can take into the classroom with you. How does your work in these two arenas influence each other? So I teach the two courses that are the bookends for the minor in health disparities in society. I teach the cornerstone that you build everything on. And then the capstone is what holds everything together at the top of the arch, right over the door. You're speaking my language. I'm a civil engineer over here. (laughs) You should be talking about cornerstones and capstones then. (laughs) So in the capstone experience, I place students in 37 different community agencies locally that serve different populations with health disparities. We have some clinics that serve people who are have low incomes, who are uninsured or underinsured. Some agencies serve people in rural areas, some people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. It's really terrific that my work in the community has been able to inform my teaching mm-hmm. because I've been fortunate to work in clinical care in a hospital 
I've worked in public health and I've worked in academia. So being aware and having those relationships is what enables me to have a robust practicum program. I know those students are going to get an outstanding learning experience. And because I know the students, I know I'm sending to the agency students who are going to meet the needs of their agency. So speaking of the students, it sounds like your program offers its students really robust training across all areas of healthcare. What kind of career paths have your students chosen after graduation? It's really exciting to see where they're going. The majority of those who enroll in the minor and or who take my courses are interested either in healthcare profession or public health. Some are interested in healthcare administration. There are, again, several who are working in the community at the Alachua County Health Department in different positions. Other students go into medicine. They go into pharmacy, dentistry. Some students have been interested in journalism and communications. I have about 5% who have gone to law school. So they go in all different directions. What are you hearing, not just from your current students, but also from past students that gives you hope that this minor is having an impact or having the impact that you want it to have? They have names to explain what they've lived, number one. Number two, all of them are going to be participating and receiving health care. So they are learning to become more effective advocates for themselves and on behalf of their family members. Those who do go into health professions do enter with a more solid foundation. They really are more advanced They've not only learned concepts as undergraduates, but they've had experience working with the communities that are underserved. And I'm seeing more students gravitate toward areas of medicine that are related to primary care, such as family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, maybe emergency medicine, OBGYN, dentistry. So I'm, I'm seeing students move into areas where they can use the information that really influenced the direction of their careers in their undergraduate years. So Laura, right now, UF is the only institution offering this kind of program to undergraduates, teaching them how to close the gap around health disparities, cultural competencies, and health literacy. So what would be the impact of healthcare for marginalized communities if this was offered at most colleges and universities? We would build a better medical student, a better dental student, a better graduate student, and they in turn would go on to be better professionals. And the idea is that if we can lay a stronger foundation at the undergraduate years in social and behavioral sciences like we do in basic science, why don't we prescribe learning about the social determinants of health and about cultural competence and about literacy and health literacy like we prescribe learning about chemistry and biology and anatomy and physiology. That's so great. I love that. Dr. Laura Geyer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I don't know that as a student, you know, you choose your major, you decide, like, I want to pursue this. And oftentimes, it can be one course that changes the trajectory of your future. And my expectation is that a course like 
health disparities in society might do just that. These students who are coming from disciplines all over our campus are now deciding to join that front line and to really make a difference for marginalized communities. Yeah, that's so true. Like you get these classes that open your eyes to something that you had no idea even existed or was an issue. A lot of times we just learn the what in undergrad and not the who or the why and who this impacts and why it's important for society and like the broader picture. Yeah, and right now the who is really apparent, right? Like because all of us are so deeply impacted by what's going on beyond the confines of our campuses. And I mean, most of us aren't even on our campuses anymore. Yeah, that's one of the real values of the program. This is Unstoppable Minds, a podcast out of the University of Florida. I'm Dr. Kyla McMullen. And I'm Dr. Jeremy Waysom. Thanks for joining us. Unstoppable Minds is produced by Endeavor Content and Katherine Welch. Managing producer, Samantha Allison. Creative development by 160 over 90 with Benjamin Riskin. Engineering and post-production by Amita Ganatra and Adam Allison. Unstoppable Minds, owned by the University of Florida, is created with many thanks to the talents of Allison Clark, Emily Cardinali, Matthew Abramson, Brianne Leanne, Wise Clairvoyant, and Brian Sandusky. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information about our show and the awesome professors at University of Florida by visiting our website at ufl.edu slash unstoppable minds. Until next time, go Gators! Gators!